Hebrews chapter 8. Let's pray briefly. Our Father, give to us the ability to focus upon Christ. There are so many distractions, so many things that would derail us, so many issues in our lives, sadness and joy and hard things and pleasant things. But Father, right now, we would set it all aside and focus on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And I would ask humbly that as the under-shepherd of this flock, that you, the great shepherd of the sheep, would work in the lives of your people, growing us in grace as the word is proclaimed. That we would use this poor instrument of proclaiming your word. And also, that those who are lost among us who do not know Christ would come to know him is our earnest plea. In the name of Christ, we ask these things. Amen. Hebrews chapter 8, beginning with verse 1. This is the word of God. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. What I desire for God's people this morning is your encouragement. I know what many of you are going through. I know the difficulties and the stresses of your lives. I'm fallen right with you, and I also know the fallenness of this world and how difficult it is. But I want, if the Lord will bless, I want our time around the table of the Lord to be encouraging for us as God's tried and tested people. For as we remember what Jesus has done for us once for all, having paid for our sins and his blood, we also remember that until he comes, he is the living Savior, our great high priest who intercedes for his people, who has promised to bring us home. Now, as we come to this chapter, you will notice that the heavenly high priestly ministry of Christ is the main point. You see how it's put in verse 1? Now the point in what we're saying is this. and actually could be translated the main point. The main point of the book of Hebrews is the heavenly high priestly ministry of Christ. Now if you take that with chapter 13 verse 22, in chapter 13 verse 22 the entire book of Hebrews is described as an exhortation. So in chapter 8, verse 1, we are told the main point of the book is the heavenly high priestly ministry of Christ. In chapter 13, verse 22, we are told the whole book is an exhortation. So the book of Hebrews is an exhortation in which the heavenly high priestly ministry of Christ is the main point. If you want to know what Hebrews is about, that's what it is about. 
And so we come to these verses this morning in which he focuses very intensely upon the main point. Let's ask questions of the text. First, who is this high priest? Who is this high priest? Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Now, keep your finger here and turn back to chapter 1, because chapter 8, verse 1, should remind you of his description of the Lord Jesus in chapter 1, verse 3. In chapter 1, verse 3, he speaks of Christ and he says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You see the connection. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Chapter 8, verse 1, who was seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. So he tells us in chapter 1 that he is God himself, the exact radiance of his being, and that this one who is God became man, and he purified, made purification for our sins by shedding his blood on the cross. And then, having been raised by God's power from the dead, he ascended on high, and there he sits at the right hand of the throne of God. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. What does that mean? What does it mean that he sits? Well, it means this. It means that his mission coming into this world to redeem you from your sins is a mission that is achieved and accomplished and is done. It means that the one who once humbled himself is now exalted to the highest possible place. And it means this, that the Jewish high priest never sat down in the divine presence. When the Jewish high priest on the Day of Atonement went into the most holy place, to make sacrifice and atonement for sins, he never sat down in the divine presence. But our high priest not only sat down in the divine presence, but he sits on the right hand of the majesty on high and holds sway over the entire universe as our mediator and our intercessor. Now I ask you, is this not encouraging? Is this not meaningful for you in your cares? Is this not meaningful for you in those things for which you're tempted to be worried? You are in union with the heir of all things, who once having made purification for your sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And notice that he uses the present tense, verse 1 of chapter 8. Now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, ekamen, a present tense of the verb to be. We have this great high priest. Not we simply had, or we might have, or will have in the future, but we presently have this ruling, regnant high priest in heaven. F.F. Bruce says it so powerfully. His once completed self-offering is utterly acceptable and efficacious. His contact with the Father is immediate and unbroken. His priestly ministry on his people's behalf is never-ending, and therefore the salvation which he secures is absolute. Who is he? He is your ruling, reigning high priest who sits on the throne above. Not simply before the throne of God above, but on the throne of God above. We have a perfect priest.
Second question, what, where is our high priest? Where is he? Well, the high priest in the Old Testament ministered in the sanctuary, in the tabernacle. And in verse 2, we read of our high priest, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. He is our minister in the true tabernacle, in heaven, in the Father's presence. True means original, not a copy, not an imitation. Moses was told to make the tabernacle in the wilderness on the pattern of the heavenly. And so the original is in heaven, not on earth. The true means original, not a copy, not an imitation, and the holy of holies is heaven itself. That's where Jesus is in his body as the God-man. The dust of earth sits in heaven on the throne with whom you now have union. That's where he is. So we read in the next chapter, chapter 9, verse 24, For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So where is our priest? He is in that true tabernacle above in heaven. Our Lord is in that better country mentioned in Hebrews 11. He has blazed the trail so that we might go behind him into the presence of God. We follow his trail of blood all the way into the presence of a father who receives and accepts us just as he receives Jesus, your high priest. Just as he receives him, he receives you into his presence. Oh, what glory is here. What wonder is here for the believer in Jesus. So that we have access to the very throne room of God, access now before our Father who is in heaven. And we have our high priest in heaven interceding and bringing us home and fulfilling his promise to prepare a place for us. So that when our Lord said, let not your hearts be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. This the great high priest is doing for you now in the true tabernacle, preparing for your homecoming, people of God. Where is our priest? Ministering in the true tabernacle. But then thirdly, that raises this question. What is our priest doing on our behalf? Well, he's ministering in heaven as our high priest on your behalf. And here's the argument of verses 3 through 5. Let's look at these verses again. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. The argument then is this, that if Christ remained on earth, 
he would not be serving you as priest right now because the old Aaronic Levitical priesthood has been fulfilled in Christ. The old priesthood is obsolete. His ministry in heaven, therefore, is superior to any earthly priestly ministry. And the death of Christ rent the veil, closed the Old Testament economy. The earthly sanctuary was no more than a copy. The real sanctuary is in heaven, and his service in heaven is far superior to that of the old. How superior? Well, it's superior because it is on the basis of the finished sacrifice of Christ. In the preceding chapter, chapter 7, verse 27, we read this glorious verse. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. The finished work of Christ. It is done. It is finished. It is achieved. It is accomplished. Atonement has been won by your Savior. Your sins are forgiven and pardoned. Spurgeon beautifully said, a God bowing his head and suffering and dying in the person of manhood put such a singular efficacy into every groan and every pang that it needs not that his pang should be eternal or that he should die a second death. The dignity of the person adds a special force to the substitution, and thus one bleeding Savior can make atonement for millions of sinful men, and the captain of our salvation can bring multitudes unto glory. That's the finished work of Christ. That he who is God become flesh, gave to his finite sufferings infinite value so that he could pay the price once for all for your sins. And that is what makes his work in heaven superior to any work that was done by any earthly priest because now he takes the value of that atonement, the complete efficacy of that sacrifice and substitution into the very presence of the heavenly Father, and there it pleads for you and for me. It is a ministry of intercession. We read at the end of verse 25 in chapter 7, he always lives to make intercession for them, that is to say, for his people. Well, indeed, you say this is wonderful to know that Jesus, the high priest, is there in heaven and that he ministers in the true sanctuary. It's wonderful to know where he is, but tell me, pastor, how does that influence me on Monday? How does that affect my life throughout the week? Well, let me give you some ways. First of all, as he ministers as your high priest in heaven, he appears in heaven in God's presence in our stead. So that when the Father looks upon the Son, the great high priest of his people, he sees with all of his omnipotent compassion you in his Son and receives you in him. He exhibits an acceptable offering for our sins. The offering that is once for all made is now eternally exhibited before the Father who loved us and sent His Son for us. It means that His elect children for whom He intercedes cannot perish. Do you understand? 
because he shed his blood for you, and because that blood avails in heaven, presented for you. It means that not one of God's chosen people for whom Jesus gave his life can perish. It means that he's interceding for his chosen who have not yet come to believe, because those who have not yet come to believe will come to believe, and the high priestly ministry of Christ secures it. It is infallible. It will happen. It means that his blood avails for all our sin, so that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It means, these things I write unto you that you sin not, but if any one sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. It means that as your high priest, he delivers you from temptation and is leading you homeward when we fail. It means that he protects us from the accusations of the devil who is the accuser of his people. It means that his intercession enables us to grow in grace and guarantees our perseverance all the way to the end. It means that he maintains the bond of peace and communion between God and ourselves. It means that he makes our service acceptable to God. That service that you offer up that is mingled with such error and such sin, yet is presented perfectly in the merit of Christ before the Father. It means that he presents our prayers and presents them in perfection before his Father. For what prayer do you pray that is not mingled with your own will? What prayer do you pray that is not mingled with your own desires? What prayer can you say that you offer other than the Lord's prayer? But even then, can you say from a perfect heart, what prayer can you offer in perfection? But there it goes. Your prayer is shot up to heaven. And Jesus, your great high priest, takes that imperfect prayer sincerely but imperfectly prayed prayer and wraps it in his own merit and presents it with perfection to the Father so that your prayer is perfectly heard and will be perfectly answered by him. It means that, it means that he ever lives to make intercession for you, his blood availing for you. It means, as Thomas Watson the Puritan said, prayer as it comes from the saints is weak and languid. But when the arrow of a saint's prayer is put into the bow of Christ's intercession, it pierces the throne of grace. That's what it means for you on Monday, that you have a high priest interceding for you in heaven. Well, what is the fundamental reason that his ministry is superior to the old. We find that in verse 6. The fundamental reason that Christ's ministry is superior to the old priestly ministry in the Old Testament is found in verse 6. As it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. Why is the ministry of Jesus superior because he is the true and final mediator. You see that word here? Christ obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. 
since it is enacted on better promises. The word mediator means middleman. It means go-between. It was used in the the non-literary papyri of the New Testament era. You know, the the, the manuscripts that were thrown out, that were used in businesses and so forth. We learn a lot about the language of the Greek New Testament by the study of the papyrus manuscripts that were involved in everyday business and everyday life. This is one of those words, and it means middleman, the idea of surety, one who pays or promises to pay the legal obligation of another person is often involved. It's the one who gets the parties together and brings agreement. When Paul says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus in 1 Timothy 2.5, that's what he means. He is the mediator, the one who brings together the parties. And since you were estranged from God, you have now been brought to the Father through the mediation of the Son. And he is the mediator, verse 6 tells us, of a better covenant with better promises. Why? Because the promise of the old covenant was, if you do the law, you will live. Do and live. Obey and live. Follow the law and live. And it condemned every sinner. For there has been no sinner who has been able to live up to the perfection of the standard of the law of God. So the law became a schoolmaster driving the people of God to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we have the new covenant that does not say do and live, obey and live, follow the law and live. But we have the new covenant which says live and do. Come to know Christ by faith and then you obey the law. Not that you might obey the law in order to be saved, but you obey the law because you are saved. You live and do. Christ fulfills all the conditions, all the conditions of our acceptance before him. And that's why in verse 6 we read the word better, because it is a new covenant. So he speaks of a more excellent covenant, and he uses the word better twice. Hebrews relentlessly presents the superiority of Jesus Christ as our great mediator in heaven. So, oh, as we come to the table, will you take it to heart that Christ who died for you once for all ever lives to make intercession for you, that he's the great mediator who has brought you to the Father, and that through his intercession you are kept forever? But I want to ask one other question. What are the properties of Christ's intercessory work as our priest in heaven? What are the characteristics of his intercessory work in heaven? What are the properties of this great work of our Savior for us? And using an old divine, the old guys write so beautifully and well, William Symington, using this old divine to help us apply this, I want to point out the properties of Christ's intercession for you. Symington made the statement, from the character of the advocate, we may judge what will be the qualities of his advocacy. If I have an earthly lawyer, 
I want to know something about his quality of life. I want to know if he's a moral man. I want to know if he, if he is able to stand well before the judge. I want to know if he can defend me appropriately and properly. I want to know if he's a sharp individual. I want to know if he cares about me as a client. Well, from the properties of our great advocate, the Lord Jesus, you can tell a great deal about what his intercessory work for you is like. And let me give you these things. First, his intercession for you is skillful intercession. Infinitely, perfectly skillful. When you and I pray, we pray, and we are often completely ignorant. We don't know how to pray, for what to pray. That is never a hindrance to our great high priest. He knows how to present his blood and righteousness that it might avail in the case for which you pray because he indeed is a skillful high priest for us in heaven. The high priestly work of Christ is also morally pure for he is holy and undefiled separate from sinners. He is absolutely perfect in his moral character so that when he stands before the Father in the holiness and awfulness of his absolute purity, he stands there as the one who also shares in that holiness and in that awful and complete moral purity. So he will never be turned aside, he will never be denied. Were we to come in and of ourselves, we would be turned aside. But you do not come in yourself, Christian. You come in your great intercessor, the Lord Jesus Christ, and in his moral purity and perfection, his atonement received by the Father, you are received completely in his presence. But he also comes before the Father compassionately. What do we know about the properties of the Savior? We know that he is infinitely compassionate as our great high priest in heaven. Look back at these tremendous words in chapter 4 of Hebrews in which we are told in verse 14 of chapter 4, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He comes with infinite compassion because he understands your temptation sufferings and the stresses of temptation in your daily living. But not only that, his sacrifice for us avails in heaven, and one of the properties of his intercessory work is that it is prompt. He is never absent from his place. You never have to take a number. Uh, Those who come to him always know where he is to be found there on the throne of God. He is ever at the right hand of God waiting to undertake what we commit to his charge when we seek him at the throne of grace. It is always prompt. Not only that, it is earnest. Do you sometimes get upon your knees and earnestly pour out your heart unto God? Your prayer is nothing in earnestness compared to the earnestness of the Son of God who loves you so that He shed His blood for you and intercedes for you. Another property is that it is authoritative. 
He has the right to be there. And therefore, you, in union with him, have the right to be there also. Because he had a commission from his father to die for our sins. He has a commission from his father to present the fruit of that atonement authoritatively before the throne of grace. But also another property of his intercessory work is that it prevails. Because after all, our Savior in heaven, as he intercedes for us, asks for nothing for which he has not paid the full, complete price with his own precious blood. And the Father will not, does not want to, and cannot turn down the plea of his Son, for he asks nothing but what he has purchased with his own precious blood. And then, another characteristic of his intercession is that it is constant. Your great high priest in heaven never sleeps, never slumbers, never takes a break. He doesn't need it. He is the infinite God become man who shed his blood, who rose from the dead, who ever lives to make intercession for us so that his intercession is constant. Will you take this to heart in your Christian living, people of God? What are the properties of our great intercessor? It is skillful. It is morally pure. It is compassionate. It is prompt. It is earnest. It is authoritative. It prevails. And it is constant. And so, believer, I ask you to behold your high priest in heaven. There for you, living, interceding, prevailing, presenting his merit and his blood on your behalf. And I say to you, come to the mercy seat. Are you experiencing temptation? Come to the mercy seat. Have you sinned? Come to the mercy seat. Are you persecuted? Come to the mercy seat. Do you need grace to keep going? Come to the mercy seat. And my unbelieving friend who may be here today, you need this mediator who died for sinners and who ever lives for sinners. Go to him, cast aside your works, and rely upon his achievement on the cross and his intercession for sinners in heaven. Charles Spurgeon once spoke of a moral man that was dying, and he was asked what he was doing. And he replied, I'm throwing all my good works overboard, and I'm trusting wholly in Jesus. I'm lashing myself to the plank of free grace on which I hope to float into glory. Well, that's it. By faith, throw your works overboard and lash yourself to the plank of free and sovereign grace, grace, grace alone. And now, people of God, again, I love the old authors. And here's one of them on Christ's intercession that ends our time around this text this morning. Listen. Christ entered into heaven, not without blood, to appear in the presence of God for us. He goes to the portals of the upper sanctuary 
holding in his hand the memorials of his sacrifice. At his approach, the celestial gates fly open. He enters in the name and on the behalf of his people. He opens and no one can shut till all his redeemed and chosen have followed him thither. And then he shuts and no one can open, either to invade their peace or to pluck one of the countless multitude from their happy abode. The permanent continuance of the redeemed in the state of glory stands connected in the same manner with the intercession of Jesus. He is a priest forever. Not only is everlasting glory the effect of his intercession, but it is the subject of everlasting intercession. He ever liveth to make intercession. The perpetuity of heavenly blessings and the acceptance of celestial services must all be traced to this source. Not a ray of light, not a smile of favor, not a thrill of gladness, not a note of joy, for which the inhabitants of heaven are not indebted to the angels standing with the golden censer of incense before the throne. Remove this illustrious personage from his situation, divest him of his official character, put out of view his sacerdotal function, and all security for the continuance of celestial benefits is gone. The crowns fall from the heads of the redeemed, and the palms of victory drop from their hands. The harps of gold are unstrung, and the shouts of hallelujahs cease forever. Nay, heaven must discharge itself of its human inhabitants, and the whole be sent away into irremediable perdition. But no such appalling catastrophe need ever be feared. Christ ever liveth to make intercession. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.